You are listening to the APSI Podcast, the association of people supporting employment first, with your host, Chris Davies. Okay, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Minnesota APSI video and audio podcast. Uh, we are so glad uh, that you are joining us once again, and we are very excited uh, about today's guest, Brittany Wilson. Say hi, Brittany. Hey. And we're going to be learning uh, a lot more about Brittany, and we're going to be learning from Brittany. I had a chance to meet with her last week, and uh, I know you're all going to really enjoy enjoy uh, Brittany and all the things that she has to say. Uh, before I, I go into um, a little bit of housekeeping items of the Minnesota APSI podcast, just want to give a, a visual description of myself. Uh, again, I'm, I'm Chris Davies, and I am a Caucasian male. Uh, I'm 53 years old. Uh, I used to have red hair, but now I have no hair, but I, I do have a red beard. And um, today I'm doing this podcast uh, from my, my office at uh, uh, Caposia, where I work in Little Canada. And uh, we're going to introduce you to Brittany here in just uh, a few moments. Uh, before we do, just uh, you know, a couple of things. Just a reminder that the Minnesota APSI podcast has now been going on for about two years. Uh, we we recorded our very first podcast in February of 2020, and uh, we've been going ever since and, and having wonderful guests uh, like Brittany. And I always like to talk a little bit about Minnesota APSI's purpose statement and actually remind everybody uh, what that is, just so anybody that might be just jumping in for the first time here might not know much about Minnesota APSI or APSI National. Uh, we are a state chapter and part of a national organization called Association for Persons Supporting Employment First. And in Minnesota, we developed a purpose statement just so we're very clear as to you know, who we are and, and what we're about. Minnesota APSI is an action-oriented organization. And we exist to bring people together to raise expectations so people with disabilities can be employed, contribute, and assume their roles and responsibilities as citizens in their communities. Employment is the same wages, standards, responsibilities, expectations, and opportunities available to any working age adult. One person at a time, employment is indeed the avenue out of poverty and isolation. And, and Brittany, I saw your, your head nodding uh, quite a bit when I was reading that purpose statement. I know you, you are uh, in lockstep with all, all of Minnesota APSI's beliefs. Absolutely. All right. So let's uh, uh, let's introduce our our guest, uh, Brittany Wilson. So Brittany is a self advocate uh, and a disability justice leader living in Saint Paul. In addition to working as a communications officer for the Minnesota Council on Disability, Brittany serves on the Arc of Minnesota Board of Directors the Governor's Council for Developmental Disabilities, and the Minnesota Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities, and is actively engaged in the community. 
Uh, I know you're just going to uh, really enjoy uh, Brittany here today. And you know, before we get into some of our, our topics, you know, we'd love to, to hear a little bit more about yourself and your background. So, so take her away, Brittany. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited. I was definitely nodding my head during your um, description of EPSI and, and the goals and things because that's, yes, exactly what I'm about. For a visual description, I am a Black woman sitting in my electric wheelchair. I've got uh, medium long curly dark brown hair and I'm wearing a Black dress um, and just sitting in a room, although the, the background is blurred. Um, so yeah, starting out with a, a little bit about me. Um, I was born with a disability called arthrogryposis. It is a muscle and joint condition um, that affected me since birth and it, it affects me in all four limbs. And so I've um, always used a wheelchair to navigate the world. And, um, and yeah, it was kind of interesting because my mom, um, she didn't know that I was going to be disabled, you know, so she, you know, went through her pregnancy kind of having all the um, kind of expectations and aspirations of what her her daughter would be and who her daughter would become and, um, and then when she had me, you know, she was told that I had a disability. I think it came as definitely a shock to her as it would to anyone else <laughs> um, in that situation where maybe you just don't know and so it can create a lot of fear. I was born in Seattle, Washington and so after I was a few days old the doctors were able to identify the disability that I had and they kind of gave her a laundry list of things I would never be able to do or accomplish um, anything from you know she's never going to be able to feed herself she'll never be in mainstream classes um, she's never going to be able to work you know basically here's your baby don't expect anything from her and um, I can I was her firstborn and so I can imagine what a really terrifying situation that is when you're not really given much support and you're and you're basically told from the get-go to not expect anything um and so i was really thankful for my grandmother because my grandmother kind of stepped in and said you know if you really believe these things that the doctors are telling you um about Brittany, if you believe them then that's what's going to happen so you need to really push her and and believe in her I'm so thankful because that's exactly what my mom did, you know, um, and I, I know that because she had those expectations, like growing up, she, you know, I remember one day I had more leg braces and, um, you know, one day I was just crying and kicking and screaming because I didn't want to put them on and I wanted her to do it. And I just remember really vividly being like sitting on the floor and just having a fit. And my mom's telling me, no, I'm not going to help you because I know you can do it and just kind of like walking away and letting me kind of be. And, you know, sooner or later I did kind of put them on, but just things like that. I mean, she used to make me like cook meals when I was, you know, a middle schooler and high schooler because she said, she would always tell me, you need to know how to cook. So you're, I'm gonna, you know, have you do this. And I never really understood why growing up, you know, it was always just annoying to me. But now that I'm an adult, um, I remember one time when I was in college and my roommate didn't know how to like cut up something and I showed her how to do it because I had that kind of training and so one thing that my mom kind of always told me was that 
you're going to go to college. When you graduate, you're going to move out of my house. <laughs> and so, you know, just having those expectations throughout my entire life really allowed me to dream about what would become possible. Um, I didn't have a parent that was like, no, you can't do that. If anything, she was like, do it, do it, do it. And that always pushed me to, to see and dream about who I could become. A big thing um, kind of with that is there were milestones that my friends were reaching that I wasn't, you know, um, things like driving, you know, when I turned 16, I got my permit, but I wasn't able to actually drive at that point. Um, you know, friends just doing things that teenagers do, like cutting school every once in a while, stuff like that, you know, that I um, were harder for me to experience, you know. And so one of the other things that I wanted to mention was just working, you know, when I was in high school, um, I had AIDS and things, people that had helped me, um, but it was very clear that they kind of didn't really know what to expect when it came for work. And so when my peers were starting to work and find their first jobs at, you know, 16, 17, I wanted to do the same. And when I had turned to AIDS that I worked with, uh, it was kind of going down that route of like subminimum wage or like day programs, stuff like that, because that was what was available. That was what they were trained to really help people with disabilities. You know, if you were given this label of disabled, then this is the path that you went down. And I really quickly realized that was not what I wanted to do. I had certain skills and things that I had identified with myself. And so I kind of had to to start thinking about those things going on, um, going on my own as I, as I started graduating from college or sorry, high school. Yeah, boy, that, you know, I really, uh, like, uh, this, what the story you just told about your grandmother and stepping in and, and, uh, and talking to your mom about expectations and, and, uh, and how important that is, you know, I've always, you know, believed very strongly in, in that uh, concept of expectations and, and the dignity of expectations for, for all people. And uh, as we go on through this podcast, I'd love to circle back and uh, particularly when we're talking about the future, uh, you know, and, and how we can increase expectations in the medical community. Because as I've always said, and you just illustrated, uh, it starts at birth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, so you, uh, you stayed in St. Cloud, you decided to stay in St. Cloud, you know, for college, and, and I think there was a really sort of emphatic moment that, that helped with that decision, you know, walk us through that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, having just different um, things that I needed to access the world meant that I was on, you know, kind of in the system, right? I have been on the caddy waiver for many, many years and, um, and things like that. And so I had a social worker who was just incredible, so amazing. She really believed in me. And right around the time that I started applying for colleges, I wanted to kind of get out of my parents' house. You know, I'd been told most of my life, you're leaving when you turn 18. And so that was the expectation. And that's what I wanted to do. And so um, one of the big barriers for people with disabilities, especially mobility disabilities, is having access to transportation. And so I had this really amazing social worker and I remember that we were doing one of our kind of annual visits that we do and she was going over different goals that I had. 
And, you know, I was talking about how friends had, you know, been driving and I had my permit and she said, well, you know, I think there might be a way that we can get you to drive. And I was like, what? Really? You think so? And, and so we kind of started this, this couple year process of, um, you know, getting tested and figuring out what type of equipment I would need and making sure that I had a van um, and kind of doing all the things you got to do when you when you require a modified vehicle. And so I remember that we had done most of it, but the biggest part that had to kind of happen was that the state had to approve it. And at that time, there really hadn't been any sort of mod, um, vehicles that were modified to the extent that I needed it. And so everything was kind of up in the air. We didn't really know what was gonna happen, but my social worker, she just really believed that she could do it. She's like, no, I'm gonna get this van for you. And so um, when I graduated high school, I got accepted to St. Cloud State and the University of Minnesota. But when you move to a different county, you get a new you know, case manager. And I just didn't wanna risk anything. I didn't wanna risk get finding, you know, getting a new person who suddenly said, oh no, we can't do that for you. And so I actually stayed in St. Cloud, although that wasn't the original plan. And uh, when I turned 19, everything kind of just magically happened in a way. Um, she was able to advocate for me to get a van and for it to be modified. And I got one of the first in the state. And I tell you what, that really changed my entire life because suddenly I was able to dream of things that were outside of the town I grew up in. I could travel wherever I wanted to now. The whole world was really open up, opened up to me in a way that it had never been. And so that was one of the biggest changing you know, points in my life and to any kind of one that's think any person that's thinking of going into the social work field or that may be in it, I really just encourage you to kind of realize your power because she really could have just said, oh no, you know, that's not something we can do, but she really fought for me and advocated. And I think it's so important to realize the power that we have. And when we're in positions like that, you know, it may take some outside of the box thinking and some consistency, but you know, she really changed my entire life. Wow. Wow. And, and, you know, accessibility really equals power, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the community, we say stuff like access is love, you know, when, mm -hmm. when the world is accessible to you, you really feel like you belong, right? When I go into a store and I can't get through it, or when I go into a building and the only entrance has steps, or there's no automatic door openers, things like that, you know, it's a signal that like, oh, they didn't really think of me, right? Or maybe they don't want me here, you know? And that can be really detrimental to, you know, your your self-worth, you know? Um, so access is love. And I say it's just, it's critical that we provide that access for everyone, not just, you know, people with physical disabilities. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I, I really appreciate that too. Um, all right, so uh, so you you finished college and then you uh, you moved to St. Paul, where where I live as well. So a couple of St. Paulites here. Although I grew up in Minneapolis, uh, right on the border, and I was like you, I wasn't born in Minnesota. So I moved up here when I was four. Mm. Neither neither of my parents grew up here, and so I never grew up with this St. Paul versus Minneapolis mentality. I've always enjoyed you know, both cities, but uh, lived in St. Paul for a number of years now. And, and when you moved to St. Paul, um, tell us, you know, what happened next? I know uh, a lot happened. 
<laughs> yeah. So, you know, after I got my modified vehicle, um, I continued to go to St. Cloud State. I graduated with a degree in communication studies. One of the things that I had really struggled with kind of my whole life was feeling just still isolated. I was typically one of the only people of color in my class, especially in high school, one of the only people with disabilities that I saw, um, you know, really ever uh, in my classes and things like that. Um, and so I, I felt just so isolated, you know, and I was really in search for more diversity and more um, just something different. And so um, the person that I was dating at the time happened to live in St. Paul. And so it just felt natural to me that I would kind of make the move. And, and so about 10 years ago, I decided to come to St. Paul and um, it was such an exciting time, you know, being um, in my younger 20s and getting a van and that I could drive, you know, being being free from from classes for the first time in my life that I could remember anyways. And um, and so the future just seemed really open. And um, so I moved to St. Paul and um, then I think reality kind of hit in a little bit because it was kind of like, well, what do I want to do now? You know, I've kind of reached um, the, my goals thus far. Right. And, um, the thing is that I, I worked a little bit like part-time when I was in college and a little bit in high school. Um, but I had been receiving social security and disability. And I think people that are in that, that system or that work or know people in that system, there's a lot of restrictions. You know, if you make a certain amount of money, which is very, very low, you know, then you get kicked out of those systems. And so I was terrified that if I, if I started working full time and actually earning, you know, livable wages that, um, that I wouldn't have any more services, you know, I wouldn't have any more PCA care, I wouldn't be on a waiver that made like my home accessible, stuff like that. And so for about a year after I moved to St. Paul, I didn't really do much. I didn't, I just kind of stayed in my apartment and went out here and there, you know, tried to make friends and, and things, but I didn't really work. I didn't know that I could. Um, I kind of became depressed, honestly, um, because I didn't feel that the future that I ho was hoping for, it, it wasn't happening at that time. And I didn't know what to do. And so I called the disability hub actually and I said, hey, you know, I am a recent college graduate. I want to work full time. I can work. I know I can work. Um, but I'm really scared to lose everything that I have. And, you know, people with disabilities, we should never have to worry about that. You know, we should never have to worry about making a livable wage or having ser services, you know. Um, but unfortunately, that's that's very real for so many of us. And so I was told about uh, medical assistance for employed people with disabilities or MAEPD. And they were basically like, yeah, you can work, you can make pretty good money and you can still, you know, you'll have to pay a monthly premium, but you can do, you know, have that freedom of working. And that was kind of the second thing I think uh, looking back that really just changed my life. I remember calling my mom right after like giddy and like, you know, just like, mom, I can work. I can work and make money and I can still keep my services. And, and just, I remember being so excited. It was like someone gave me that breath of life that I was needing, you know, not working for a year. I'd really done it's kind of toll on me mentally.
And so once I found out about that program, I applied immediately and started looking for full-time work for the first time in my life. Yeah, that's, that's such a uh, important moment uh, in one's life and in your life. Uh, and it's something that is, is still very frustrating. I mean, for me, from an outside perspective, on the system that so many people believe they can't work and are told they can't work and that if they do work they will lose this and this and they aren't shown all the different options that that are there to them and as you know and are working on the system has a long way to go uh, but but there are a lot more opportunities I think and correct me if, if you think I'm wrong but I think there's a lot more opportunities that people don't know about and mm -hmm. or not guided towards mm -hmm. And that's something that's certainly in our work every day, you know, we try to combat, you know, because um, we do talk to folks every day that say, well, I can't work or I can't, you know, make any more than, than X amount of dollars and, you know, those kind of things. And that's, it's not always just that cut and dry. It really isn't. You're so right. And it's a systemic issue. You know, I think when you are given a specific kind of label, especially one with a disability, or if you're like given something like a label of like profoundly disabled, stuff like that, it really kind of can set the tone for you to get funneled down different kind of avenues. And, you know, it starts when you're in school. Are you allowed to be with your other peers or are you in a room with um, you know, other people with disability secluded with from others, you know, are you set in given expectations? Are you listened to, you know, a lot of people with disabilities, we don't have that kind of body mind autonomy where what we want, the desires we have, the goals we have are supported by those around us, you know, um, and, you know, for me, like I was saying, I just because I had this dis a disability, it was like, oh, okay, so you know, it was a fight to kind of get into more, um, you know, classes with my peers and not be secluded and then not to get funneled down the subminimum wage route um, or like, you know, just things like that. I had to kind of fight every single step to be um, heard, you know, and for my goals and my wishes to be honored. And I really credit the people around me believing in me even if you didn't know how it would necessarily happen, but just saying, you know, okay, yeah, we, we're going to listen to you, right? I think that that's really honestly the true love, uh, meaning of independence as well, is that, you know, we're kind of taught like independence is really just picking yourself up by the bootstraps and doing thing, everything by yourself. But Ed Roberts, um, who's the kind of father of the independent living movement, but his definition of independence is talks about how independence is really having the choices to live your life the way that you want and having those supports. Um, and so I think that although my, my you know, supports may not have known that that's kind of what they were giving me, but they were giving me that independence by listening to me and honoring me. Right. Um, but we, ha we have a long way to go because there's such a myth out there, like, oh, if you rely on these services, you can't do this, mm -hmm. you know, because you'll lose everything. And I just, I really challenge folks that are out there maybe listening to this who don't live this life to really think about what that's like, you know, like you can't go and, and work, even if you're fully capable because you're going to lose everything that keeps you going. Um, it's kind of criminal in my mind to make people 
to make people choose between the, those those horrible choices. And thankfully, we have programs like MAEPD in Minnesota that allow you that freedom and that that sort of um, independence. But we've got a lot of work to do to kind of dispel the myths that go on and to to, you know, push people down the path of um, customized integrated employment, you know, um, and support and honor them as people. Right. Yeah. Here, here. And I know you're doing uh, a lot of work uh, in those regards uh, for uh, the Minnesota, uh, or excuse me, for um, uh, MCD, right? Minnesota Council on uh, Disability. Excuse me, yeah. I got myself tongue tied there for a minute. Uh, it happens. The uh, before before we talk about that, did you want to talk a little bit about uh, you know when you decided? that you could work and and you know you as you said you called your mom and you said i'm going to work and and i'm going to try to work full time uh i believe you found yourself uh working for u.s bank is that right uh yeah about that journey yeah absolutely so i had mentioned a little earlier that i had worked kind of part-time when i was in college and a little bit in high school and so you know when it got to the point where people were going to kind of pushed me down that sub-minimum wage path. You know, I said, no, I don't want to work in a shelter workshop. I know that I can do something. I really started thinking like, what kind of skills do I have? What am I good at doing? And I'm good at talking. <laughs> I realized, okay, I can, I can pretty much talk to anyone. And, um, you know, my degree was in communication studies. And so what I started doing was I started searching for like jobs that I could do on the phone because I knew, okay, well, if people can't see my disability, then they're not going to treat me any differently. So I'm going to do phone work. And so when I was, you know, in college and, and high school a little bit, I did like telemarketing jobs, jobs that people probably, many don't really consider even real jobs, but for me, it was a lifeline telemarketing and debt collection and, you know, things like that, where, you know, people didn't know I was on the phone. I could be like everyone else. It didn't matter. And so that I think really helped me, um, to, to kind of get, get that confidence that I needed because once I got a job, I kind of just learned, um, you know, more of my skills and talents. And it also got me through the interview process and how to kind of be confident through that. And it also taught me how to ask for certain things that I needed and um, modifications or, or um, accommodations, stuff like that. And so I had had quite a bit of experience just from going through that. And then when I moved to St. Paul and found out I could work, um, I went down that path again, you know, doing phones work. I knew I had had that experience and that I was good at it. And so um, I found out about U.S. Bank through kind of word of mouth. Many people had told me, oh yeah, did you know that they hire veterans and people with disabilities? U.S. Bank is really open about that and they advertise about that and they're proud of that, which they should be. And so I felt like, okay, I have a shot, you know, why not? I've never done anything in banking, definitely never thought I would, but I need to make money. I need to support myself. And so I applied for their customer service and I got it. And that's really where my career took off. Um, 
I learned so much about customer service and working with people, all, all kinds of people. And I worked for, you know, this big corporate company. Um, and so I did that for a couple of years and then um, I just kept getting promoted. I was going to different departments, started in customer service, went to fraud, um, and then ended up in economic sanction screenings. And I worked for US Bank for a little over seven years. And I learned so much about myself and the things that I brought to the table. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I always say like, just by people with disabilities being in the room, they already make a difference in the workplace and what we bring and the way that we teach others. Um, I believe that the enabled workplace is really the future. People with disabilities working with, with those that don't have any. And, um, you know, I just wanna say there's this one story that's kind of coming to mind where um, I had been advocating for automatic door openers for um, the whole, every level of the parking garage because they only had them on one level. And, you know, I drive and sometimes when I would show up for work, um, you know, I wasn't able to snag one of the first floor accessible spots. So I was running into an issue where I couldn't open the door if I had to park on another level. And so I advocated for that and it took a little bit of pushing, but ultimately they made, you know, they made it right. I knew I was within my kind of parameters of asking for accommodations, but my coworkers started to understand and, and, and take note of that. And I had a friend that said, you know, I was at the Y the other day and I saw this person in a wheelchair, like struggling to get to the bathroom. They didn't have an automatic door opener. Like I couldn't believe it. And I was like this, you know, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, what did you do? You know? And she's like, well, I went and talked to the manager and I said, Hey, like I saw someone struggling. Can you, you know, have you ever thought about putting automatic door openers in your bathrooms? And that was one of the first times that I realized, you know, me just doing me and just existing and fighting for my own access teaches other people how to do that too. And it was one of those kind of just light bulb moments when I realized, okay, advocacy is kind of where I want to be, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, clearly uh, it, it, it seems as though all the things that you've done have, have led you to this, this current moment that you're in. And, and you are still very, in my opinion, as a 53 year old male early on your employment journey and and there's so much more to come, but but all the things you've done have really positioned you well, you know, for for the advocacy work you're doing. And it is, it's it's like a, a pebble in the in the ocean or in the water that that continues to ring out. And and I'm sure, you know, the advocacy work that you've already done to this point reaches so far uh, and and there's so many uh, ways it will be impactful that we'll never know about but but we we know that it is and and that's a really good example of um, of that person then going to the manager at the Y uh, and I think about those things now too where maybe I didn't 20 30 years ago but I notice if a restaurant has accessible options or doesn't you know mm -hmm. and those types of things so so that's great so so tell us a, a little bit about what happened. I believe uh, at US Bank, you had the opportunity to, to uh, do some, or get a certificate, I believe, through Partners in Policymaking. 
policy making and U.S. Bank supported uh, supported that venture? Yeah, absolutely. So once I had been at U.S. Bank for about five or six years, I had really reached all my goals that I had set for myself once I had graduated from high, or from college. I lived in an apartment on my own. I was able to earn a livable wage where I could, you know, pay for the things that I needed in life. Um, and I was still driving. And so I had that freedom and independence. And it was it was kind of a moment where I thought, you know, okay, I'm living and I'm, I'm making all my goals and that's great, but what's really feeding my heart, you know, nothing against baking or the banking industry, but it was, I felt like some of my talents were being, I just wasn't able to explore them fully. And so I made the decision that, you know, I've been advocating for myself for my whole life, but what would it look like if I were to advocate for my community? And I realized that I was in a very privileged position, you know, having other friends with disabilities, I realized that me working and, and having all those things was a privilege. There's so many people in the community that don't have that. And so one day I was hanging out with some friends and I was telling them, you know, I really want to make advocacy my next journey. This is what I want to do with my life. And I, I want to start putting my attention to that. And someone said to me, you know, well, I took this partners and policy making class ages ago, and it teaches you all about disability advocacy at the state. And she just kept going on and on about how amazing it was. And it was just, I was like, yes, that's exactly what I'm looking for. You know, I want to learn how to, mm -hmm. how to do that and how to make more of a difference for my community. And so I looked it up online, the application, and the application was due two days later. And I thought, this is meant to be, this is meant to be, thank God, you know, um, it just was one of those things that happened just in the nick of time. And so I applied for the program. I didn't know, you know, really if I'd even get in, I just was so excited and passionate. It's run through the Governor's Council on Developmental Disabilities. And um, so I took the course, it's a, a nine month course and you meet up like one weekend a month and they pay for you to stay there. Um, they pay for your food. I mean, it's just an incredible program. They bring in experts from all over the country to teach you every single facet of disability advocacy, whether it be yourself, the state, or at the federal level. And it's for people with disabilities and, and parents or guardians who have children with uh, developmental disabilities. And honestly, that class changed my entire life. I feel like in that class, I learned everything I needed to know about how to make change. And it gave me this like power. I felt like, oh my gosh, it just gave me direction. Like I knew, okay, I can take my story and make change with it. I can help advocate for other people. And, you know, it kind of brought me back to being a child and not seeing anyone who looked like me in leadership, not seeing anyone of color that had a disability that was a woman um, in powerful positions. And I remember feeling really alone as a kid. And it was kind of like this moment in class graduating, realizing I can be that representation that I wish I saw. I can show other people in the community that you can thrive and do and achieve your goals. And so I graduated and I just started getting as involved as I could. And I would suggest that anyone that's looking to do anything like this is to just really start with where your passions are. Um, I had been receiving home care my entire life. 
And so I actually got involved with SEIU Healthcare Minnesota. They, you know, do the, they're the union for home care workers in Minnesota. And so I started working with them. And from there on, everything just took off. They had me in front of the governor, the lieutenant governor, just a bunch of different people in powerful positions explaining why our direct support professionals need to make a living wage. And honestly, I got after that, it it just kept growing and kind of snowballing. I got involved with the governor's council and started doing work there. Um, Then the ARC board came along and they said, you know, we really want to bring disability justice to our organization. Can you, do you want to be a part of the board and help us do that? And so I started getting involved with them and, you know, things just kept happening. Honestly, it was like, I couldn't even keep track of all the stuff because, you know, I just, they just kept coming. And I think that that's when you know you're in the right place, you know, because opportunities just kind of kept rolling in. And then eventually, um, you know, I came in contact with the Minnesota Council on Disability. And um, sooner or later, they had a position come up for communications, which I had been doing in some way for my kind of whole life. And so I applied for that position. And so that's where I'm at now. What a, what a great journey. What a fabulous, fabulous story. And I love how you talk about, you know, going where your heart is and, and, uh, and making that sort of your, your, your primary, you know, motivation and, and base. And uh, wow, you're doing so many wonderful things. You know, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but as you were talking, I was, I, I couldn't help but wonder, uh, do you have ambition and uh, to run for public office? <laughs> uh, you know, I go back and forth with this on myself. Politics is something that I, I never really considered myself political growing up, you know, and now I see my, like my disabled identity in particular is really more of a political identity. Um, I, I'm never going to say never. I don't have any plans to run for public office at this time, but, you know, maybe in a decade or so when I've got more experience under my belt, you know, perhaps then I, I would run. So I'm not leaving it out. It's definitely very much on the radar. Um, you know, I think it would be incredible to represent so many different kind of intersections um, of life and, because I live this life, I understand systems like many, you know, maybe not. I understand the systems in a way that many do not in those positions of power. So perhaps. <laughs> okay, well, I will keep my uh, eyes and ears open. <laughs> keep you on my radar. Um, do you, uh, do you want to talk at all? Or do you want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things you're currently working on with the Minnesota Council on Disability? Yeah, absolutely. So um, some things that are that kind of working on um, this year, I um, got on the uh, sub the task force for eliminating subminimum wage. And it's a task force that where we are going to look at, you know, what would it look like if Minnesota ended subminimum wage? How would that phase out? work? How can we support businesses? How can we support people that are in the system making some minimum wage, find jobs that cater to what they need and their desires? Um, 
but you know, earning a livable wage. It's something I'm really proud of. Um, we don't have, the task force doesn't have the authority to end some minimum wage, but it's just making a recommendation about, hey, if you do decide to do this, this is a great way to go about it. Um, there's a lot of controversy around it. And so, um, but I'm really passionate about it. I see ending some minimum wage, not only benefiting people who make some minimum wage, but our entire community. I'm a firm believer that when you lift up the very bottom you lift up everyone else naturally. And people um, that make some, some minimum wage, so many people don't even know about it. And for me, it's like when you say that certain people deserve or are worth less, they deserve to make less than everyone else, it says something about how you value them in society. And lifting us up, it will only, you know, increase everyone else's I think position. And so um, I'm really passionate about that and we'll see how that goes. Um, one thing, one other initiative that I'm really excited about is that um, the Minnesota Council on Disability is actually partnering with um, DNR, Department of Natural Resources, to bring track chairs to um, different state parks in Minnesota. And I got to try out a track chair um, in the winter and it was so much fun. It's this big all-terrain wheelchair that, you know, you can sit in and you can go like on any terrain. I mean, it's incredible. I had so much fun. You like get harnessed into it. And at first I saw the harness and I was like, that's kind of like a lot, you know, why do I need a harness? But when I was off-roading, it made sense because I was really like moving all around, getting kind of whipped about, but um, you know, it was fun and it was kind of cool to think about how at 34 years old, this was the first time I had ever been in um, in a state park and not on a really well paved trail, right? And so thinking about the accessibility that that's going to bring to um, to Minnesota state parks is just incredible. Um, I'll send I'll send you a link after so you can post that where people can go and check out where the chairs will be, but they'll be free to rent, and um, anyone with mobility issues can use them. So it doesn't need to be um, you know, you use a wheelchair, it could be just that walking long distance is hard for you. Um, so that's, yeah, we will, yeah, please do send us that. I'll, I'll definitely get that to our communications team in Minnesota APSI and we'll get that out into the, to the universe, to the internet, as I like to say. Well, yes. I, I kind of stole that from Cobra Kai, but, uh, <laughs> you know what, you know what I mean? You know, accessibility, you know, as I'm listening to you talk about uh, going on the track chair and, and into the state park, uh, we, when we think of accessibility, or at least I think most of us think of accessibility, we just think of bathrooms and being able to get into a building, you know, and things like that. But it is so, so much more than that. Uh, it's truly making the world accessible, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, I think that while the ADA passing was a really monumental thing for us, you know, it's been 32 years later. And I think about like, where are we since that happened? A lot of people kind of view accessibility as a box to check. And like you said, we really think about it in terms of physical access. Can someone get into the building? Are there ramps? Are there wide enough doorways? automatic door opener, stuff like that. But accessibility goes way beyond that. And um, I think it's really time that we bring 
um, awareness for people that have invisible disabilities and disabilities um, that require different types of access, right? I think access isn't like a box to check. It's more so um, a destination that you're always longing to get to. Um, and I think it's about being open to, you know, someone may have a different access need than you uh, or someone else that you know, or, you know, um, if you're like a business owner, well, maybe this worked for someone that has a physical disability, but now, you know, there's a request for um, someone who may have an invisible disability and, and things like that. And also it's like, I've been in spaces before where I could get into the building, but it's not welcoming, you know? Um, I think about like going to the theater, the theater or something like that, how a lot of the accessible spaces are in the very, very back, right? I think about going to like, um, going to the mall and try wanting to try on clothes and often the accessible dressing room has, is like the storage room. I can't tell you how many times where, yeah, they were able to check that box, but it's not a welcoming space. They still weren't hope, or they still weren't planning for people with disabilities like me to actually use the space. You know, I, I get that all the time when I go to the YMCA, I love to swim. And every single time I have a new lifeguard, one of the first things they say is, oh, I never seen anyone use this. I didn't even know people use this or how do you, you know, I'm training every new lifeguard how to work it because they, they check that box of being accessible, but they still don't plan on having people come really. And so um, for me, again, access is, is love and, and it's more than just that box to check. Access is love. I, uh, I really like that. And uh, I, this is just the way I think sometimes I love to make t-shirts. I've made a lot of t-shirts, uh, lost a lot of money, made a lot of t-shirts over the years, but uh, I think that'd be a great t-shirt access is love. Maybe it already is. I think it is. <laughs> I'm not surprised. All the great ideas are already taken. Right? <laughs> so, uh, as we're, as we're starting to kind of, as I like to say, get on the home stretch here, tell us, you know, what can we do? Uh, what advice do you have for us? And what are some of your hopes and, you know, quote unquote, hopes and dreams for the future? Yeah. Do you, when you say advice for us, do you mean APSI or just people listening? Yeah, people listening. I'm sorry. Yeah, anybody listening, just anybody. Uh, what sure. kind of things can we do to, to, I guess, more specifically, you know, aid in these advocacy efforts? Absolutely. You know, to the people with disabilities out there, if you're a parent with a child with a disability, I think one of the main things you can do is believe in yourself, believe in your child, know that, um, you know, sometimes things really aren't easy and we have to fight to kind of exist in this world sometimes. But, um, you know, there's so many boundaries that the world kind of puts in place for us to stay where we are at. And it can make us feel like burdens. And so I would just say, know that you're not a burden. Know that um, that you can advocate for yourself. Advocacy can look very different depending on the person. And really believe in yourself. Have goals, right? Um, like when I was working and figuring out what my skills were, you know, do do the same. What are you good at? What makes you feel good? What are your passions? And then. I think also having a really good solid support team is really important. Surrounding yourself, if you're able, you know, with, with people that really believe in you, 
that um, may not know how you'll get there, but they're willing to be with you on that journey and willing to support you as much as, as they're able. Um, I think if you're interested in advocacy, definitely check out Partners in Policymaking, an incredible program you can join for free. Um, and, and really just start small. It could just take one action, whether it's um, sending a letter to your representative, letting them know like, hey, you're in, you know, I'm your constituent and these are the things that I run into. Know that you're really the expert of your own life, right? You live in your body mind and you know your body mind better than anyone else. And so really kind of stick with that and know that you that you really do know what's best for you. I think for people that are allies or wanting to be allies, it's really about what you do. It's about taking that action. Sometimes people really do take things better when it's coming from someone that may not have a disability. I've had that experience before. Um, so just know that it's that it's important to amplify other people's voices and really take that action to be and kind of step up in a way. Um, and I would say to just really believe, believe, believe in yourself. Um, I think about like going into interviews and that situation, um, you know, really being confident kind of selling yourself, even if you don't necessarily feel it. I feel like that was one thing that always got me hired was just being um, really positive and acting, even if I didn't feel it, acting like, yeah, I have this job already, you know, and I'm gonna be a great asset. Um, I think it's also about knowing your boundaries and your limits too. We live in a society where we're just taught to go, go, go. So it's really important to pace yourself and to, to know that you don't have to do things at everyone else's uh, pace, you know, doing and taking care of yourself is most important. And um, I would also say, if you're able to just follow others on social media, you know, follow hashtags um, and, and find people in the community that look like you and that kind of live a similar um, life or experience toward that's similar to you. Um, creating a community, I think, can be really important to um, knowing what's out there. Um, you can, you know, obviously follow different organizations as well um, that are doing really great work and volunteer. That's honestly how I got started. Like I said, it was just volunteering. So know that volunteering does matter and that you can learn so much through that. Um, as far as kind of what's the future, I think for me, the future is, you know, working for, for Minnesota Council on Disability, um, continuing to just learn in, in general about how to be a better advocate, staying up to date with the issues. Um, of course, I would love um, to, to, to see Minnesota in some minimum wage, so that's something I'm working on. Um, I would love to see some adjustments made to MAEPD. Um, that's already in the works, so we'll see if that kind of passes this legislative session. But, um, you know, making programs in Minnesota really accessible to all different kinds of people um, and, and just keep advocating. That's one of my other just goals is to kind of keep advocate, ad, advocating. And who knows, in the future, I may run for office. Um, we'll see what happens. Well, you get my vote, I can tell you that. <laughs> and uh, I would love to see those things too. And, and those, those really come down to expectations, you know, uh, don't they? And 
yeah, yeah. Everything you're saying is just right on. You know, I, I know our listeners are, are getting so much from this. I, I know last week when we met and we, we only had a brief conversation <clears throat> with our producer and, and ourselves, but I felt like, you know, I'd already was starting to learn things, you know, from you, just like I am today. And uh, you have had so many people that you've described that, you know, had a huge impact on your life because they believed in you. And now you are in a position where you're passing that belief on to other people in them. And you're having that same impact on others and, you know, the world and uh, the state at large. So it's, uh, it's inspiring. Yeah, it truly is. And, and I, I love what you say about uh, the most important thing is to believe. Uh, I, I got into the field of employment for people with disabilities going back to 1997. And as you were saying earlier, I realized that that was my heart. You know, I saw it mm-hmm. as uh, I was completely new to the, to the field. And I, I saw, wow, there is a civil rights deprivation here and a civil rights movement. Uh, uh, the people with disabilities, and still are, although we've come a, a, a way, certainly, we still have so far to go, still are very unrepresented, underrepresented in the, uh, in the in employment, you know, in the community at large. Uh, but it's, it's changing, and, and customized employment, uh, all the tenants of customized employment are the things that you just talked about, you know, uh, you know following your heart, figuring out what you're interested in, uh, you know, and believing and believing that you can do it. That was one of the first things I learned when I got into this field from a mentor who said the most important tool you can have as a job developer is to believe. And, uh, and mm-hmm. I'm taking that with me, you know, all these, all these years later. And like you said, it's a, it's a journey. It's not a destination and uh, we're all, we're all still on it and, and still will be. Yes. Far, far beyond our <laughs> earthly bodies. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what it's about too. It's like, that's another reason why I really wanted to do advocacy. Cause it was like, it's not just about me, right? It's about moving that dial and being one of the, the people that helps that, right? Like it will never just be one person that does everything. We, everyone is needed in this movement to help push that dial forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. None of us, and none of us do it alone. Right. Do it alone. Well, that's great. Well, uh, you know, before we wrap up, do you have any, any final thoughts or, or questions for me? Um, you know, I don't know if I have any final like thoughts. I think we've we've really just covered so much. Um, I would just say, you know, I'm always here as a resource. So if anyone watching, listening, reading um, wants to get in contact with me, you know, I'll make sure to give my information, you know, please do so. Um, I really want to be a resource and kind of a connector. So if there's any way that I could help, if hearing my story has um, been kind of opening for you, or maybe you have, you know, questions or, or, or anything like that, you know, I just want to be open to, to people reaching out to me if, if they need it. And thank you for all the incredible work you're doing. Thank you for being, you know, such a supporter and for believing in, you know, in this and in, in the right for people to work and make those livable wages and have that say in their life. I'm just so grateful. Thank you. 
Oh, well, thank you. Uh, it goes right back to you. Do you, would you like to tell our audience how they could reach you if they had a question or they wanted to connect? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I will give two different kind of avenues. You can contact me by email. And my email is uh, Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-E dot Wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N at state dot M-N dot U-S. So you can feel free to email me. Otherwise, you can follow me um, on Instagram. That's probably where I'm most um, active at Brittany dot Wilson. Great. Thank you. And we will certainly, uh, we can certainly continue to get that information out too with our, our communications team at Minnesota APSI. I just remembered though that I did want to circle back a little bit to uh, expectations uh, within the uh, medical community. You know, do you have any thoughts uh, of how, because it's something I've always uh, wanted to do, not something that I've probably gotten as involved in as I would like, but I've always wondered how we can get more uh, information about expectations and, and what people can do, you know, to the medical community. So when doctors are talking to, to families as, as children are born, it's not just about all the things this child won't be able to do, but all the possibilities that, that could exist for the future. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing that's really coming to mind is ableism, you know, the discrimination of people with disabilities. Um, and for me, medical ableism is something that's very real. Um, it's something I still experience today. It's very prevalent in the medical industry. And that's the idea that people with disabilities need to be fixed, that we need to conform to a a, a right type of body, right? So for example, for me, you know, um, growing up, I was always pushed by medical professionals to walk and it was braces and walkers. And, um, you know, I had to go through many surgeries to make my legs do something that in my opinion, they just weren't created to do. And, and so it's that idea, right, that, that we're fixing a person, that something, that something is wrong with them. And I really go kind of against that completely. I believe that we are all worthy from the start, no matter, and, um, and that people with disabilities, we don't, we do not need to be fixed, right? We need to be supported and it's okay if people do things in a different way. And the default shouldn't always be that able body, um, you know, person um, that that can walk and, and produce. And so for me, a big thing, and I would love to see a shift in the medical industry um, where they actually kind of treat us like human beings, because oftentimes that's really not how it is. I, I still to this day, if I bring my PCA or a friend in with me, the doctor will tend to talk to them and not me. Mm. Um, I think you know, people with disabilities that we're not given that same autonomy to make the choices for ourselves. And that's kind of why I was saying too, you know, you know your body mind best, we really do. And, um, and so for me, I think it will take a lot of education and a lot of unlearning. Mm -hmm. um, and, 
I think that it, it can be really challenging, you know, um, just this past year, a doctor that I was seeing for the first time was writing in their notes. And as they were writing, they were like, oh, confined to a wheelchair. And I said, you know, I really don't want you to put confined to a wheelchair because that's so, so negative, first of all. And it's like, I'm not confined to anything. I, my wheelchair actually gives me freedom. My wheelchair allows me to move, allows me to go places, allows me to have my independence, right? And mobility devices shouldn't be seen as something people are confined to, right? And so um, I could honestly go on and on about so many examples of medical ableism. Um, I think it, it can be really, it can be really hard <laughs> for people with disabilities to be able to find or have resources to doc to doctors and medical professionals who actually view them as a whole person, take what they're saying um, with, you know, respect and actually work to, to make their lives better. We definitely have a long way to go. Kids, with disabilities and babies being born with disabilities, it's still very common that they're kind of given that laundry list of expectations. And I think about how it fits in with just kind of the, the oppressive system, right? Like sure. who benefits, what systems benefit from medical ableism kind of being alive and well from doctors being allowed to say, don't expect anything from your day old child, what systems, you know, benefit from that. So we've got a long way to go, but I think education is a good place to start. Yeah. I'm really glad I remembered to ask that because those insights are so valuable and uh, I can feel how very real they are, you know, and uh, maybe, you know, if there's not already, I've never gone to medical school, so I can't tell you exactly all the classes that, that one would go through, but perhaps there needs to be some type of curriculum added during the medical school journey that talks about, you know, uh, breaking down the walls of medical ableism. Oh, I would love that. I think that would be incredible. And I would love it even better if it was taught by mm -hmm. people with disabilities and the texts and writings mm -hmm. were from people with disabilities. And that's another thing. Um, you know, whenever we do these types of trainings or, you know, just I think about activism and stuff like that, it's so important that the people that are affected, you know, the people with disabilities living these lives are at the forefront of the movement. Right. Um, because we know, you know, like I said, we know these systems better than any anyone. We know how medical ableism affects us. We know how, um, how we're treated in the world. And um, and it's important that those stories and experiences are front and center if we really want to look at changing things for the better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, this has been just a, uh, a wonderful conversation, a very valuable conversation. Uh, I'm so glad that I had a chance to meet you and, uh, and uh, I don't think this is goodbye. I look forward to <laughs> our, our, our continued, continued uh, efforts and uh, interactions, you know, down the road, that's for sure, especially getting this curriculum off the ground. We got a lot of work to do. Um, and, you know, you've said it already, but I'll just remind everybody out there listening uh, from Brittany Wilson and myself, 
Chris Davies. Just remember that if you believe it, you can achieve it.